Michael, do you know when you were last in the football library? Oh, not off the top of my head. I'd, <laughs> I'd say last year, obviously, yeah. Yeah, last year. April the 20th. No, I didn't remember either. But I like to say how long it has been uh, since all these football writers and critics have returned to the library. Because we're in September. It's back to school, as you may know. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, so 18 months, roughly, then. Yeah, and in that time, Manchester United have re-signed one of the figures in your new book, An Ode to the Chosen Few, about football's piano players, uh, and have also gone through managers at a rate of knots. Did you know Rafa Honigstein was Ralph Rangnick's media advisor? No, I did not. I found that out the other day. I had Kit Holden in the library talking about Scheisser, and Kit had taken over from Rafa as he was on leave to do something. And that something, and I can say this because it's in public domain now, was helping Ralph. Did it work? Well, clearly not. But I've always, I've always said the Ranyuk appointment was a case of if you've got a substitute teacher at school, no one never used to do their work properly, did they? The fact he was only interim, I don't think the players took him very serious. But yeah, I think if he'd have stayed from day one, it might have been a different story. Well, as it is... With the Manchester United soap opera multiverse, whatever it is. The story yeah. keeps on rumbling. So it was all awful, and now it's all great. There's no middle way, is there? There, there pretty much hasn't been since since 2013, really. Yes. It's, you know, we've had more false dawns and, and I don't know what, but definitely a roller coaster. That's a dead cert. I wonder if they're actually approaching these young English coaches, because I think someone like Graham Potter would be brilliant because he recognises the history of the club. He's got the masters, so he's a forward-thinking manager. It's just, it's dastardly what's going on at the moment with your football club. But um, this, is a, this is a duff season because of the World Cup. Are you watching the World Cup in November, December? Uh, I will be, mate, because obviously I just, yeah, I, I can't, I don't think I could not. I mean, look, it's just, there's a lot been publicised about the whole human rights issues and, and things like that but I, I think um, I don't know I think there's there's obviously other ways and means people can sort of protest about it but I, I, I couldn't miss it do you know what I mean well it, it probably won't happen again because it's in the North, North America next time and then probably South America for 2030 and then possibly China 2034 which is a completely different kettle um, but it's mm. been in Russia it's been in Qatar and one thing that you strip everything away when the match kicks off, it's nil-nil and anything can happen. And uh, much as in the Premier League now. Um, and I think you struck upon a great idea with this ode to the chosen few. Uh, you picked 10, but you've actually got about 25 in here. So rather than go big on the 10, whom we're going to canter through at a rate of knots, uh, let's start at the end and list some of the pretenders whom you also do pen picks for, but don't include in the initial 10. I'm particularly interested in um, saying that the piano player is surrounded by talented players. So that knocks out a couple of players that you could have included. The whole story come, the sort of come about, I was, I was laid on the sofa one day and I was watching, it was Premier League's greatest players or something of that description on BT Sport or something. And Steven Gerrard, and it was just showcasing his sort of, you know, 12, 13 years playing for Liverpool. And it just struck me how many times that he dragged that team that he played in for all them different sort of, 
eras that he just dragged them to result after result after result. And it just got me thinking, I wonder how many players have actually come under that category that you could say sort of helped secure like a legacy for themselves at that club, um, whether it be a one-season thing or a, a ten-season thing. And obviously the list sort of grew and grew, really. But obviously you know, it's it's debatable. So that, And I think that's it's subjective, and I think that's what makes it interesting because people will sit down at a pub and say, well, he shouldn't be there. He should be somewhere else in the book. But obviously that's, that's their opinion as opposed to mine. Well, you, you've picked ten players, and Gerard is one of them. You say he's a leader of men by example and words. But Rooney and Rush um, are the two that you say... Well, they're great, but they're not piano players as such. Can you just quickly do the boring thing and just define what you and Bill Shankly mean by it? My understanding or my view on on that was Wayne Rooney was, you know, he's, he's Manchester United and England's all-time top goal scorer, um, and 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 for that, I think he should he should be absolutely put on put on a pedestal. But I, I just always thought that he was surrounded in a team that at the time had Cristiano Ronaldo. Carlos Tevez and Berbatov and some really up, some other really good players that that I just thought helped him to get to that level. Whereas I think, for example, Steven Gerrard played in some really really poor Liverpool teams, but still absolutely led. You know, was head and shoulders miles better than than everyone else. And I just sort of thought there was a few years towards the end of Rooney's Manchester United career. When you know the team, Sir Alex Ferguson was sort of left, and we sort of went from one manager and regime to another. And I just thought he never, he never had that sort of Steven Gerrard about him, where he could lift the team to a, a better level. I thought he just sort of died off with it. And I, and I guess that's that's the point, really, is you know that there's some players that, regardless of where they play and who they play with, they can just just drag a team with them on their shoulders and take that team forward to to sort of victory. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the title of the book comes from this Shankly quote about uh, three players playing the thing, playing the piano, and eight to carry it, which is a great image. And it is what the modern football team is like. It's the system and the functionality of a team and offensive plays and defensive plays. Do you think all of these piano players could have fitted in any era? Could you drop Pushkas in, like, the Barcelona team of 2010? Um... I don't know because he was what I read and what I what I found out about him. Obviously, not being sort of old enough to to see him in the flesh was he was just a really really good goal scorer. I mean, it, I suppose it's hard, isn't it? it it's hard to cross reference. You know, people say would George Best flourish in the Premier League these days, where defenders aren't allowed to touch her and the pitches aren't heavy and the balls are a lot lighter. So I suppose you could you could probably say that I reckon every player in this book you could probably cross-generate from one era to another. I, I, I think they probably could, to be fair, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think they could. Just mentioning Gerard, um, the story of the week is that of all the joints for Steven Gerrard's villa to go to. Do you know who they're playing on Saturday? Oh, no, I haven't seen the fixtures for the weekend, I don't think. Brendan Rodgers Leicester. Don't worry, by, oh. by, by Friday, uh, this is Monday, and by Friday you will know that Steven Gerrard could potentially end Brendan Rodgers' managerial career at Leicester City. Um, yeah. In, a, in the most ironic, supremely ironic 
state. And that isn't even the biggest game of the day because we're going to see Spurs against Manchester City. Can I find a way into the current era debate by asking whether Mbappe versus Haaland is going to catch some imagination in this generation coming? Because we're coming to the end of one era involving yeah, an Argentinian I, I, and a Portuguese. These really are the pretenders to the throne. You know, Mbappe's been around for sort of four or five seasons now where everyone talks about him every year. But the problem with PSG is that there isn't a lot of media interest in the French League in England. Um, we don't really get a lot of the sort of highlights and the, and the bits and pieces that go with it. So we only really see him in the Champions League. And if PSG don't make the latter stages, you know, Mbappe is, is few and far between for the, for the average Joe who doesn't, you know, watch YouTube highlights every weekend of the of Liga. Haaland is just, oh, well... I mean, he, he's he's not had a bad start, has he? In the last in the last month, um, whether or not he can sustain that, is, is, I don't know. But yeah, these are these are what you would now say are the the pretenders to be the sort of the best players on the planet. But are they going to score fifty goals a year like Ronaldo and Messi did? I, I don't think they will. Yeah, that that number real was outrageous. They scored both of them domestically a goal a game. So in every game, you are more or less guaranteed to see Messi or Ronaldo score. And it's kind of the banality of brilliance. Messi really did make things look extraordinary. He's a bit of a savant, whereas Ronaldo is a brute force. And I I love this Rio Ferdinand quote, uh, quotation that you included in the chapter. Do you remember what he said? It was about um, that they needed each other to... They needed each other to thrive like um, Larry Bird needed Magic Johnson. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, I thought that was a really good comparison because it does cross sport or Salieri and Mozart. But I'm sure that someone is working on a drama, probably their own production companies, uh, about shy Messi and arrogant Ronaldo. Although both have had, well, Ronaldo has had quite a difficult year personally and um, he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need half a million pound a week. But that's his market value. Uh, is it sad to see Elanga starting instead of Ronaldo? Is it kind of the twilight of his career? Um, I mean, it's so frustrating because obviously, as a Manchester United fan, I get asked, you know, every day in the, at work and in the pub and whatnot, is why is Ronaldo on the bench? He doesn't want to be there. Look, no one actually knows what's been said. No one knows what goes on behind closed doors. I'd imagine there was probably a discussion along the lines of, if you can find me another Champions League club for a year, let's do it. That hasn't been the case, but he didn't go on the pre-season tour. He was late back for training and only sort of started training a week before the season started. You know, even if he turned around and said, look, I want to stay, you know, Manchester United's my number one, blah 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 you can't throw him in the opening games of the season when the other lads have been training for five or six weeks. Um, and I think and I think that's what the manager's saying is, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your reputation is, um, this is my structure, we're going to do this, and if you don't like it, then you'll have to sort of sit it out. And I think that's, that's what's happened so far. I actually predicted he would start against Arsenal, so I was really surprised when he was on the bench again. Well, it's, again, another subplot of the soap opera. Very interesting because Ronaldo has wanted to find a new club, but he's staying. Messi famously 
wanted to leave, didn't sign the contract, then took a pay cut and now he's in Paris and he'll be paraded as a puppet of Qatar. When Argentina win the World Cup, it's fixed. Either Argentina or Brazil will win. It's not about football. It's about geopolitics at this stage. I forgot that Ronaldo wasn't initially CR7 at Madrid. No, he was nine, yeah. Because of Raul, whose goal-scoring record he overtook and Messi became Barca's leading scorer at what age? Oh, it was 28, I think. Oh, no, in your book it says 24. Oh, was like, yeah, as long as young as that, yeah. yeah. Well, he, his, his record was, I, I think he went, he must have gone about 10 seasons where he didn't score less than 40 yeah. goals a year, no, which it, is just outrageous. Well, it's also a testament to the team around him because the whole system was set up to give it to Messi. It's like the playground. And just going through some of these players... Um, who are the piano players of the title of your book, An Ode to the Chosen Few, which is out now. It is indeed, yes. Good luck um, with it, and I hope people will... This this book is impossible to read without YouTube clips. You realise that. People are going to spend hours, days reading this book because they're going to have to keep stopping. Well, actually, obviously, doing the research, um, you actually forget how many great goals and and bits and pieces like that, and the moments as well, do you know what I mean, that sort of coincide with it. Um, it really was, like some of it was, it really was a, a trip down memory lane. Um, I, liked, I liked doing the Puskas one because obviously it was a bit outside my comfort zone in the fact that, you know, I wasn't obviously around in that era. So it was quite interesting to read the newspaper bits and the and the bits and pieces surrounding him and try and try and piece together a story um, of of what his career would have would have sort of looked like. Um, and it was quite impressive considering there wasn't a lot of TV coverage or or any sort of coverage back then. It was very very limited, not like it is now. Mm. And I didn't know about the Manchester United connection. Where did you find that? Basically, I, I did a uh, I did a bit of reading regarding the Munich disaster. It wasn't long ago. It was it was nothing to do with the book. It was something else, and it and it come and I read a thing saying that Puskas had tried to had tried to sign, but obviously it, you know back then it was it was all red tape and 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 you couldn't just travel around Europe then going and playing in different countries like you can now. Um, I mean, there's still a limited. Um, thing with visas and, and whatnot, but it's a lot easier now for players to move from one country to the other. Um, I'm not really sure how it how it how they never quite got it over the line, but it just a lot of the things I read just says it was held up with with uh, permit issues. Well, it was, I don't really go into why. No foreign players could really come until 1978. The FA, the English FA, who are awful. If Paul Hayward has written this book about England and football, and I wonder what he's going to say about the FA, because they really have shot themselves in both feet and kneecaps. Uh, we'll talk about kneecaps very shortly, but something that connects uh, Maradona and Cantona and Cruyff and Messi and Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, I mean, and Thierry Henry, they've all had books written about them. They've all had biographies, either Philippe Clare, who wrote Thierry Henry's, or Guillaume Balaguet, who's written one about Messi, one about Cristiano. And then the recent one, I just wanted to ask you if you've read Guillaume Balaguet's biography of Maradona. No, I haven't, no. Well, it is in... I read, I read his Messi one. I did have his Messi one. Guillaume has not been in the football library, and my excuse is that, well, he's always busy. Uh, if not with the football stuff, with the Biggleswade United United stuff. Um, but yeah. you must have read an extraordinary amount 
of books did you add to your own football library well, i've got quite a few books uh, i've got one on i can't i'm just having a look now to see what yeah, go ahead. Where I can find. just trying to find my maradona one i've got a maradona one somewhere with his own and um, you do you do quote his autobiography yeah um, but a lot of it as well is I'll just I'll go on to sort of um, Apple libraries and things like that, and then sort of type in I'll type in a subject and a you know a player and a subject, and it will come up with their sort of autobiography. Especially if you can type in like an incident, for example, if you're trying to remember um, you know sort of Maradona signing for Napoli, for example, you can go on there and it will it will have a section in his autobiography. So you get you can read it online because you can normally get a couple of pages for free as well so you don't always have to purchase the the whole book if you know what i mean so you can get some good good information without obviously having to buy four hundred thousand books to to write one book oh no but um, you've got your football library card so you have access to all the football books and i've done 200 I have, yes i have done 251 of these chats so so oh, many books have been dropped off including your own an ode to 442 which is i hope still selling well yeah, it did. It did all right. Um, it did all right the first sort of six, seven months. Um, it, it sold a, a lot more copies than what I, what I had originally planned. So obviously that was very um, that was very interesting. I do remember talking to you around that book, and you did say you had a second book on the go. So it's lovely to read it with your typical pitch publishing cover, your typical great plate of characters. Uh, and these characters include Dalglish, Tarap, Riquelme, Ronaldinho Gaucho, Platini, Pierolo, Letizia, the Marmite figure, Zlatan, George Zlatan, Best and Paul yeah. Gascoigne. So all these figures, a lot of them mercurial, uh, some of them bigoted. We're not going to say which ones, but they are from Guernsey. Um, yeah. the, is there anything that you learned throughout this process that you had no idea before. Let's, we, we've dealt with Pushcast, but about Cruyff, for instance. Yeah, I mean, I like the Cruyff bit. Um, obviously, going back and doing the the uh, the research on that is I didn't realise how how many how many times when he played for Ajax they went under. I think they went a whole a whole season and half of the next season undefeated at home in their old stadium. Like every time he played. Um, it, and he used to smoke as well. He used to have fags <laughs> yes. every half time. But no, he was. Uh, he was. I mean, everyone. Everyone knows the Johan Cruyff sort of Barcelona story, where he he sort of set up the the, the Messiah as it is, and they all played the, the the Barcelona way, which is through Cruyff. But obviously, he was very instrumental with with Renus Michels and the whole the whole Ajax way as well. And it's yeah, it's just things like that. It's just really interesting um, because, like you say, Dutch again, Dutch football is not highly sort of um, in this country. You don't get a lot of you see the result flash around here and there, but you don't get goals and sort of analysis and things like that. So it's good to go back rummaging through and finding out all things like that. Um, especially, like I say, in an era that was just before just before mine, really. Yeah, it's in danger of being lost because that Ajax side and the, the Dutch side that Gary Thack has written about in his book, it's 50 years now, so there'll be a lot of celebration. Cruyff is no longer, but Cruyffism, as Jonathan Wilson has written about, is alive and well. Unfortunately, it's in the wrong bit of Manchester. But what we've seen with Guardiola and Arteta as well um, is Cruyffism brought to English football. And there are artists all through the division 
uh, and Harry Maguire, who can get that's unfair, uh, who can put the Johan Cruyff system into action. And the frightening thing is that we are now grooming English kids to play that way. Raheem Sterling, Jaden Sancho, Mason Mount. Quick, ball to feet, no tackling, just blocking, running. So the quality of Premier League has increased over the last 10 years. I don't know if you've noticed yeah, that as a regular. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I did, I did football coaching probably a decade ago, so sort of 2010 to 15 sort of era maybe. And obviously at the time they were, they were desperate to produce uh, academy players and you know youth football kids that were comfortable on the ball and weren't just lumping it forward and everyone chasing it and the fast kids would excel etc etc and i think since 2000 and sort of 18 especially for england sort of the world cup and the euros that's that's born fruit now um from the last 10 to 15 years of people like phil foden um being coached proper you know proper football um, taking the ball in tight spaces. Like you say, Cruyffism um, at its finest. I'd imagine Johan Cruyff would have been absolutely purring over um, a young Phil Foden or a Jack Grealish or something like that now. Yeah, forget it. I keep forgetting about Grealish because I just don't care about Manchester City because they're a sports wash for Abu Dhabi, much as Manchester United now. And for God's sake, why aren't the Glazers selling? That is a topic that I hope you, in your next book, well, perhaps... Oh, yeah, the, the problem is, I think the analogy I used the other day is if someone said to you, there's a there's a card here and every time you go to the cash point, it's going to give you £500, would you get rid of it? Yeah, absolutely right, it is. And um, it's because of Sky. It's because of Sky who wanted to buy Man United once. It was Rupert Murdoch, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Well, also but, Vic Wakeling and Sam Chisholm. They are as important as Murdoch, but... That's the reason one and a half billion pounds is being spent while people are having trouble affording the subscriptions. And we cannot go into that because we are here to discuss an ode to the chosen few. The Nearly Men, Pele, Steve Bull, Robin Friday, Christo Stoichkov, Zinedine Zidane, Brian Robson. That would be a lovely dinner party. Who would you talk to first? Robin Friday. Correct. Yeah, what a man. I, I actually, Robin Friday... Um, a friend of mine a few years back said to me that he'd read that the BBC were looking at making a film on this fella called Robin Friday. Now, I hadn't heard of Robin Friday before, so I uh, downloaded his book, and it's called The Greatest Player You've Never Heard Of. And it's actually written by Oasis's, I think it's drummer or bassist. Oh, Giggsy. Giggsy is the yeah. bassist. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, he he wrote the book. Yeah, and basically I read it and I absolutely loved it. I mean, it's a great story and I just, you know, I, I thought, I suppose that's the sort of player that the book sort of aimed at as well. I, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier, Johnny, Mercurial. It, it was nearly called um, Football's Mercurial Men, but I just, and I saw the Bill Shankly quote and I really liked it. So, so that, that that got put in instead. But no, Robin Friday is probably my favourite of the nearly men. Yeah, what a bloke. Yeah, although he didn't win the World Cup, he didn't play for Barcelona, uh, he wasn't Captain Marvel on whose shoulders the England football team rested in the 1980s. <laughs> he didn't get capped while a third-tier player like Steve Ball, and he wasn't Pele. 
But the no. great thing about football is that you don't have to be that, especially in England. Do you reckon people in, I don't know, Brazil will have heard of Robin Friday? Do you reckon the word would have got around? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, they might do if a few people read this book now. They yeah. might start Googling Robin Friday. But I just think, I think it's testament that he was voted both Cardiff and Reading's all-time best player at the turn of millennium. And to me, I think that just says it. I think that says a lot for a player that only played a hundred times, I think, for Cardiff and a hundred and fifty times for Reading or, or whatever it was. Um, I just think that he must have made such an impact on them teams that he deserved to. I think he deserved a place in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we hit the other four of the chosen few of the top ten, I must just compliment you on this line. The best line in the book, and it's very well researched, but the best line is, Liverpool had bigger fish to fry and they were all battered. Come on. Come on. I, I hope, you took, hope you took a very long lunch break after that line. Well, look, you've got, sometimes it's got to be a bit tongue-in-cheek in it and uh, if there's not a dad joke to throw around, then when, when, if you can't put a dad joke in a book, when can you? No, and it, it's a wonderfully written book and you... you Grab the reader by the hand and take them through, again, Pushkas, Maradona, Gerard Cruyff, Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Can we do the man who cost one-third of Anthony when Inter Milan signed him? Again, if Anthony's worth £85 million, how much is Phenomeno Ronaldo worth? £500 Six. It's a stupid game, uh, but you remind everyone that this footballer, whose knee injuries kept him out for two seasons fully... I don't think we'll ever see a Ronaldo again, right? Not, not as a finisher like that. He was, he was just, he was, I believe, in my opinion, one of the greatest finishers that's ever played as, a, as just a goal scorer. And it's a shame that his knee injuries robbed him, a bit like Marco Van Basten. Yes, robbed him of, of sort of his better years because he could have had records for. Real Madrid and Inter Milan and Brazil and you know and all the other sort of teams he played for. I mean, the first two years he played for PSV and Barcelona. I mean, his one season in Barcelona, I think he scored 40, 46 goals or forty two goals, and most of them were dribbling round the goalkeeper and uh, and putting it in the back of the net. Um, but he just he was just explosive, just absolutely well phenomenal. Hence his name, really. Yeah. And we mentioned Mbappe and Holland. Ronaldo seems to have the um, striking ability and the strength of both of those players combined. Still around, um, still kind of a cuddly figure despite his flaws. Um, I, I hope football put him on the same kind of pedestal uh, that they seem to have put Thierry Henry on. Thierry Henry, who famously took... 17 games to score two goals for Arsenal. Uh, do you know David Dean has his memoir coming out shortly? Has he? Yeah. And David I'd imagine, Dean. I'd imagine he'll be eulogising about Thierry Henry in, in quite uh, dispatches. Yeah, um, I guess because David Dean gets a mention with Henry and there's the Arsene Wenger connection that was already there. But what did David Dean do to turn Thierry Henry into a marksman? Gave him, didn't he give him DVDs? Of Ian Wright. Ian Wright. Yes, yeah, so it's Ian Wright's fault that Thierry Henry beat his own Arsenal record. Ironically. Yeah, it was um, sort of death by a thousand blows, I guess. 
I, I always remember that goal. I'm sorry to bring it up, but he flicked it over Fabian Barthez's head. And that is, of course, uh, yeah. made more brilliant because they will have trained together. They won the World Cup together. They'll know each other very well. And Henri still has that element of surprise. You call him the master of improvisation. So it must have been particularly annoying uh, when Arsenal had that period of doing very well against Man United or throwing pizza because they couldn't do well against United. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really liked I, I really liked that period. I thought the rivalry was just insane in it, in it. And I think it... I think it just drove both a bit. But what we were talking about, Ronaldo and Messi, I thought it drove both teams on to be better than than they were because they couldn't let the other team get the one up on them. Obviously, there was games when Omri would do the business and Perez and, and people like that, and we'd get turned over. But it, I think that just made it even more special. And you know, putting my Man United hat aside, Thierry Omri was he was phenomenal, one yeah. of the top the top players that's ever played in this country. And again, like Ronaldo, uh, the Brazilian Ronaldo, just an absolutely insane finisher. Once he'd, once he'd broken that duck, he was just like a, a, a new man. Arsene Wenger just knew exactly how, how to get him firing. My God, did he. And there was a, there's a brilliant point that you make in the book that Wenger himself moved him to the wing and then they were on a flight home. They were on the same flight and Wenger said, you should be playing through the middle. I'll sort that. If you come here, uh, and he did, and it was that partnership with Burkamp, which I'm sorry, I think it was a better partnership than York and Cole, than Suarez and Sturridge, than Sutton and Shearer. I think Burkamp and Henri were just so attuned to each other, uh, and also I used to be Burkamp in the playground, so I have a personal. <laughs> I, I, I believe I believe they were better. The, the York and Cole one was good for one season. It was a it was an absolute. Everything they did come off, and Manchester United ended up winning the treble. But Burkamp and Omri was sustained for a period of sort of three to four years of a real golden time for for Arsenal, and they just complemented each other beautifully. With Burkamp dropping into the pockets and Omri just filling the gaps up front. But like you say, the the it was it was Arsene Wenger who put Henry on the on the wing to start with because he thought he was too small to play in a central role, um, and then when he saw him at Juventus struggling on the wing, decided it was then time to put him through the centre. So it was, I suppose, a bit of a masterstroke in a, in a sense of maybe him thinking, well, actually, maybe he should just play through the middle, and he persevered with him, and I bet he's glad he did now. Could the same case be made for one of these piano players? For Dennis Burkamp, Bergkamp. Um, I mean, yeah, it could be. Like I say, the, you know, the, the players. I probably could have wrote about another forty chapters, really. If you know, the list could go on and on and on. One of my friends said to me the other day. Um, I think the beauty of it is, is that you can sit down a pub or sit around a tea table at work. And, you know, yourself could say, well, why haven't you got Dennis Burkamp in there? He's better than so-and-so. But again, everything's everything's subjective and, and that's why we love football because it's a game of opinions and, and it gets people talking. Um, I mean, look, at one point, when I wrote the book, I only had a chapter of the of the original 10 people and it was only when I started reading newspaper articles and sort of books and, and um, clippings and just YouTube videos that I thought, blimey, I've forgotten about him and, oh, my God, he, he could possibly be in here. So... Um, hence the, the Nearly Men and the Pretenders was born as well. Yeah. Otherwise, I probably could have wrote about 15 different editions of it. 
Well, this would be a really good kind of PowerPoint slideshow. So if you ever want to come to the physical football library when it opens, um, it will be closed during the World Cup for manifold reasons. But um, I've got better things to do and that no one will listen to library stuff. They'll all want to catch up on exactly how the BBC have spun Qatar VTs. Because um, I'm really looking forward to like Michael Richards going to a, to a street, to a bazaar in Qatar to meet some real Qataris. Yeah, it's, it's, going yeah to be I can imagine. it's going to be ludicrous. Um, do you reckon Eric yeah. Cantona is going to show up to Qatar? He said he isn't. He said he's not watching it. So, but yeah. you know, I'm, Je not suis, sure, I'm sure if I'm sure if French TV Canal paid him um, a lump sum of money to go and sit in a the studio there, he wouldn't turn it down. You no, know, he goes straight to the consumer. He's got his Instagram page. Um, Cantona is one of your ten, obviously. I didn't know two things. Um, he played the FA Cup final 94 with Sciatica. Yep. That was novel to me. And you're going to have to tell us who scored the goal, which was rather overshadowed by other events against Crystal Palace in January 1995. Who scored United's goal? David every, May. David May. David every, May. Think of David every May. photo of the 99 Champions League win. I, I actually yeah, I David, said to a friend... David. In the yeah, future, May, that's it. in the future, we're going to think David Beckham was David May because May is in all the photos of that. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, yeah, David May scored that goal. Uh, Cantona's awareness of other players was key. Do you think Rooney had that as well? I think he did at a younger age. I, I generally, I thought that Rooney, when he was the the sort of street footballer that he was at the beginning, I'm doing a new book now about England. And I was watching highlights this afternoon, actually, and it was when he when he played in Euro 2004 against Croatia. And he was just absolutely everywhere on the pitch, just like a dog with a bone. And I just thought, I, I genuinely think he got a lot of it coached out of him because I just thought, as he got older, or maybe just thought, well, I can't be bothered to do the runs anymore. I'll just wait here for the ball. I don't, I don't know, but um, he had the similarities, but... Not he wasn't in Canada's league, I don't think. Ooh, well, possibly because of um, other activities, but history won't uh, recall the treatment of Wayne Rooney very well. But he's got a column in the Sunday Times. I thought he talked a lot of sense about the Man U Arsenal rivalry. Um, I just because we've only got a couple of minutes left, uh, Francesco Totti is your tenth player uh, debut in nineteen ninety four before the Bosman ruling. And he finished playing football in 2019 when Saudi Arabia were thinking about buying Newcastle, uh, which is the reason yeah. why I'm not. It's not video that we should get angry about. It's about states that lock up women. Uh, that's where we should be getting angry. But instead of that, we should read an ode to the chosen few about football's piano players by John McNichol. Uh, this book about England, can you sum it up in 10 seconds? Yep, yeah, it's about one man's hurt, i.e. me. Uh, following England from when I remember it in Italian 90 up to present day. Very good. So that will place it in the canon of Henry Winter's book, 50 Years of Hurt, and Paul Hayward's new book, England Football, which comes out very shortly. So I w I'm all for fan appraisals of the England football team. Uh, whom should replace Gareth Southgate when the time comes? Grandpa. Correct answer. Um, I love <laughs> there was There was an interview that Mike Calvin did, and, and Mike said, look, hypothetically... People are talking about you as a future England manager. Hypothetically, what would you do? And Potter said, I'm the Brighton manager. I'm going to be the Brighton <laughs> manager. So, um, well, I hope you enjoy watching England. What is it? USA, yeah. Iran and Wales. Yeah.
yeah, we're nailed on to draw the first one, scrape a 1-0 and then sweat it out in the last one. Well, I won't be watching, but I'll follow whatever you're writing. When do you hope to finish this book? Uh, February. Just like the library! Just like the library! Just like the library! Just like the library! Shh!